When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Wednesday edition of the PFT PM Podcast, one day before the start of the NFL Draft. I'll answer some of your questions, although I can't commit to answering all of them today. And I don't know what kind of mindset I'm going to be in after I talk about the Tyreek Hill situation. I wanted to wait to tape the podcast today until after we heard from the prosecutor in Johnson County, Kansas, about the investigation regarding potential child abuse involving the son of Tyreek Hill and Crystal Espinal. Now, Crystal Espinal is the person that Tyreek Hill pleaded guilty to choking and beating back before he entered the NFL at a time when she was pregnant with the child who has now been abused by someone. That's the bottom line. Prosecutors believe a crime was committed against Hill's son. Prosecutors are not prosecuting anyone for committing a crime against this three-year-old boy because they don't believe they can prove that someone did it under the very high standard of proof beyond a reasonable doubt, which is part of the American criminal justice system, which favors letting the guilty go free over wrongfully imprisoning the innocent. And what this ultimately comes down to, even though... The prosecutor at his press conference today didn't use these terms. This is an inability to force people to testify. You can't force people to cooperate. You can't put Tyreek Hill on the witness stand and say, you will answer these questions or you will be held in criminal contempt. You can't put Crystal Espinal on the witness stand and do the same thing. Because they both can invoke their Fifth Amendment rights against self-incrimination. So whoever was around the kid, whoever was in the house, whoever had access to the child at the time the child was injured, who potentially would be prosecuted, simply has to say, I invoke my right under the Fifth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution against self-incrimination. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you. That right to remain silent lasts from the moment you are suspected all the way until the moment you would otherwise be called to testify in the case against yourself. Now, they could pick one of the people and charge them. They could prosecute Tyreek Hill, and they could try to call Crystal Espinal as a witness. She would be a hostile witness for the prosecution, but how useful would she be? What did you see? I don't remember. What happened next? I don't know. I was asleep. I don't know what happened. Now, I'd like to think that a sufficiently aggressive prosecutor who is mortified as I am and we all should be by the fact that a three-year-old boy will not have justice for an injury that was inflicted upon him. The prosecutor was very careful about what he said regarding the child because the victim here is a minor. And I'm not going to say alleged victim. There's a victim of a crime here. And that victim is three years old. And that victim isn't a reliable witness as to what did or didn't happen. And at one point, that victim was removed from the home. The prosecutor wouldn't say whether or not the boy is back in the home, but the prosecutor said the boy is safe, which implies to me he's not in the home. 
because if in the normal course of the child's regular living arrangements he ended up being injured and there's no way to hold whoever did it accountable being in that environment in my mind isn't being safe so i think the prosecutor could have been far more aggressive if he wanted to and sometimes i believe what happens is this and i'm not accusing the prosecutor in johnson county kansas of any type of inside deal here where he's trying to help the local football team or its star player i think part of it is and this reminds me of the mike vick situation in surrey county virginia 12 years ago when gerald poindexter seemed determined to look the other way until the feds got involved this is a situation where a local prosecutor who is on salary, who doesn't get paid by the case, doesn't get paid by the hour, doesn't get paid by anything but the year. Remember Michael Scott said that one time, I don't get paid by the hour anymore, I get paid by the year. Once that happens, you want to be very careful not to bite off more than you can chew. And if you prosecute somebody who has the means to hire a legal dream team who can come in and make that prosecutor's life miserable until the prosecutor says, Uncle, didn't we talk about this recently with Robert Kraft? If you pursue charges against someone who can do that, you have just bought yourself X number of months of professional misery while you're trying to do all the other things that you need to do to protect the citizenry of Johnson County, Kansas. You've got this one case that is going to suck up all the time, the money, the oxygen, and what's ultimately going to happen? You're going to have a skilled defense lawyer who is going to stand up and make an impassioned plea to a jury that in this country, we do not put innocent people behind bars. We would rather let guilty people go free. That is our birthright as Americans. And for that reason, the bar is extremely high. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit, et cetera, et cetera. And it works when you have the money to hire a lawyer who is good enough to fend off the attacks of the prosecutor and stand up there and make an impassioned speech to a jury about the inherent and basic rights of citizenship in the United States of America. And it's all accurate. It's all accurate. That's the problem. Our system stacks the deck against the prosecutor because we don't want the government to operate in a heavy-handed manner and start putting people behind bars for all sorts of things they may not have done. But you will have situations like this where a three-year-old child ends up not having any justice at all because the people charged with his care have the absolute right under the United States Constitution to refuse to cooperate. Remember the O.J. Simpson case? Well, I just said if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. So you have to have been thinking about Johnny Cochran's closing argument. Remember what O.J. Simpson said after he was acquitted? He was going to find the real killer. He was determined to find who killed his ex-wife, the mother of his children. And that's what a reasonable, rational, innocent person would do. Because at the end of the day, someone killed your ex-wife. Someone killed the mother of your children. And even though you are currently divorced, there would be a level of anger. There would be a level of frustration. There would be a level of determination to find the person who did it. Now, apply that to your child. Somebody injured your child. And the authorities don't know who did it. You know who did it. Who are you protecting in that situation? 
Hard decision to ultimately make, I would assume. But if your spouse or if your friend or whoever, whoever was in the house, whoever had access to the child and the prosecutor was extremely guarded in what he said about it because the victim here is a minor. This is a very simple game of rock, paper, scissors for me. Somebody injured my child. That somebody is going to be held accountable. And remember, Hill and Crystal Espinal are not married. They're engaged, but they're not married. And I'd like to think that most people, and I'd like to think that all people care deeply and intensely about the safety of their children. If somebody injured my child, the last thing I would do is refuse to cooperate with the people who are trying to get to the bottom of what happened to my child. Now, that's if Hill's innocent. What if he's not innocent? And I know that we're crossing over into the boundary of speculation here, not evidence, but the evidence is that the prosecutors believe a crime was committed against this child. They just can't figure out who did it because nobody is going to cooperate with them. What is the more logical outcome here? Is it Hill taking the fall for Espinal or is it, or not taking the fall? Let me back up. Is it Hill refusing to cooperate to protect Espinal or is it Espinal refusing to cooperate to protect Hill? Which is more likely? Given that four years ago, Hill choked and beat Espinal while she was pregnant with this child. Which is more likely? And I know we've got a bunch of Twitter lawyers who say, well, things that happened in the past are irrelevant to what happens now. Well, you need to look at Rule 404B. Now, that's the civil procedural rules. I don't know if there's a similar rule. under It's the rules of evidence. It would apply in a criminal case. It's not civil procedure. i, I got to refresh my, my training here. It's been a while. I'm out of practice. But Rule 404B of the federal rules of evidence would have been adopted in most states. That allows for evidence of past prior bad acts to be used in situations to prove a propensity, a tendency to act in that similar way now. Now, it's a very high bar, and you end up having a trial within a trial, but you got a guy here who's pleaded guilty to assaulting a family member. Well, not a family member, but the mother of his child while the child was inside of her womb. That's a relevant fact, potentially. It's relevant in the court of law. It's relevant in the court of public opinion. Between Espinal and Hill, who do you really think would be the more likely, given what we know? Given what's transpired in the past, who would be the more likely to have injured that child? Not accidentally. If it's an accident, they explain it's an accident. Here, it's an accident. Here's what happened. I'm sorry I did it. You would be mortified, mortified that this accident happened. They believe a crime was committed, but they can't prove who did it. Now, here's the thing. Again, I can say what I would do if I was the prosecutor. It's easy to say because I'm not the one who is earning a salary and having to protect via the application of the system of criminal laws in Kansas. All of the people who are under my care in the county 
where this all happened, Johnson County, Kansas, and you know the, the idea that I don't want to have so much time and resources and effort caught up in fighting against a team of lawyers who are paying or who are receiving, excuse me, exorbitant fees to come in and, and do what they have to do to protect their client. And ultimately, we're going to go through this, this exercise and there's going to be an acquittal. Apart from all that, the NFL now takes center stage. I'll talk about the Chiefs in a minute. The NFL has jurisdiction over Tyreek Hill under the personal conduct policy. And that Fifth Amendment protection that saves Tyreek Hill from potential prosecution, that Fifth Amendment protection that allows both him and Crystal Espinal to say nothing and to make it virtually impossible to prove that anyone inflicted injury on that child beyond a reasonable doubt. Here's the language from the personal conduct policy. Because the Fifth Amendment's protection against self-incrimination does not apply in a workplace investigation, the league will reserve the right to compel a player to cooperate in its investigations, even when he is the target of a pending law enforcement investigation or proceeding. A player's refusal to speak to a league investigator under such circumstances will not preclude an investigation from proceeding or discipline from being imposed. See, what you can do here, if you are the National Football League, you can say, look, we believe based upon the information that's publicly available, an injury was inflicted upon the child of Tyree Killing Crystal Espinal. And we are going to presume responsibility on the part of Tyree Kill unless and until Tyree Kill convinces us otherwise. Now, that would not be an applicable standard of proof in a court of law, but under the personal conduct policy, it is something that the NFL could do, especially since one of the specific enumerated acts that can get a player disciplined within the confines of the personal conduct policy includes conduct that poses a genuine danger to the safety and well-being of another person. Remember, I pointed out last week, the mere fact that that child has been removed from the home could in and of itself be deemed evidence of a violation of the conduct policy because to get to the point where the child is removed from the care of Tyree Kill and Crystal Espinal, there's conduct that poses a genuine danger to the safety and well-being of another person. Otherwise, the child stays in the home. So the league can basically say to Tyree Kill, look, you have to prove to us that you didn't do this. So who did it? I can't tell you. Not good enough. Who did it? I don't remember. Not good enough. We're going to presume you did it unless you convince us you didn't. And, oh, by the way, we expect your fiance to cooperate. And if she refuses to do so, we're going to assume that she would say things that would make us believe you did it. Again, it's a harsh outcome. But you know what? In the absence of the authorities providing justice to a three-year-old child who was injured by someone who will not take responsibility and who will hide behind others to do the same, the league needs to step in and take action. It's that simple. It's that simple. And I am a strong proponent of the league doing these things properly. 
I have argued against discipline to be imposed on Ezekiel Elliott. I've argued against the league in other situations where I believe that the league did not properly investigate or fairly prosecute within the confines of the personal conduct policy NFL players. But you know what? In none of those cases was the victim a child. And I think there's a point where our instincts, where we can put ourselves in that situation. And I know that this is no place for emotion, but my God, we're talking about a child, an innocent child who was injured at the hands of an adult, presumably. And nothing's going to happen. Well, something's going to happen. And if Ezekiel Elliott gets suspended six games under circumstances where he didn't even have the right to question, confront his accuser, a child is injured, and that child isn't able to do anything to protect himself, to seek justice on his own behalf, the NFL needs to step up. And the Chiefs, look at what they did with Kareem Hunt. They asked Kareem Hunt what happened in connection with the allegation that was made against him in February of 2018 at a Cleveland hotel. He said, I didn't do anything. I don't know what you're talking about or words to that effect. Video comes out. He's gone. He lied to the team. Chiefs can say to and Now, this is where it gets a little bit murky under the CBA, and this is where the NFLPA may need to step in and make sure everyone knows their role. But given what the Chiefs did with Hunt, you bring in Hill, you sit him down, and you say, hey, Kareem, we didn't know what the hell happened here. I don't know. That's not good enough, uh, Tyreek. We need to know what the hell happened here. How did your boy get injured? I don't know. That's not good enough, Tyreek. Did you do it? I don't know. We want you to bring Crystal in. We want to talk to her. She comes in, she doesn't cooperate. It's not good enough. See, the, the most I, I am a firm believer in Occam's razor, the principle that things typically what, what is it that the, 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 the God it, you'd think there'd be a simple definition for a term that is based upon the most likely explanation for something being the most simple and the most logically clear. I mean, you got a situation where Tyreek Hill is eventually going to make $20 million a year. You take this off the table, he's making $20 million a year. You put this on the table, his career is possibly derailed. Possibly banished from the NFL for a full year under the personal conduct policy. And then in a position where he has to apply for reinstatement. Who's more likely to be protecting whom here? Is it Hill protecting Espinal or is it Espinal protecting Hill and the money that he would continue to make as an NFL employee making more than any other receiver in the history of the game has made if this had never happened? So now, again, I I admit I'm pissed off that there's a three-year-old child who is not going to get justice. I may feel differently about this after I sleep on it, And I do believe that the NFL must be fair and proper in the investigation that it conducts. But I I remember with Ray Rice, how the NFL got into trouble with Ray Rice. And I got into this argument with someone from the league office weeks before, just, just less than a month before the Ray Rice video from inside the elevator came out. I said, this is a very simple scenario. Because I I remember how this happened, but indulge me here for a minute. Jay Glazer was on Dan Patrick's show. 
And Jay said that he doesn't believe the league has ever seen the video of what happened inside that elevator, that the league has never seen it. And my reaction to that was, how in the hell can that be? There's always video inside an elevator in this day and age. A lot of people don't realize that, and they do things on camera for the world to see through this security video that is taken in almost every elevator in America. How could the league have not demanded that that be seen? as part of the investigation that resulted in the two-game suspension initially imposed on Ray Rice. So that's when I started talking to the league about it. And, well, I was told we can't get it. Well, what do you mean you can't get it? Well, that's part of the criminal file. We can't get it. Well, what do you mean you can't get it? it it's it's a, you, you tell Ray Rice, we want it. And if your lawyer has it, it's not your lawyer's property. It's your property. He's working for you. It's your file. You own the file. So you tell Ray Rice, Ray, you will never be permitted back in the workplace until you get us the video. So that same mindset. And, and I, I, I mean, I remember it was, it was a heated discussion. And, and there was kind of a degree of condescension, like you don't know what the hell you're talking about. And then... All hell broke loose a month later when the video came out. The video that they should have had all along. The similar approach would apply here. Where you say to Tyreek Hill, until you help us determine who did this, and until we believe that you are doing everything in your power to expose to the light of day whoever it was that inflicted this injury on your child, you can't work. Your choice, refuse to cooperate and not work or do everything in your power to help us figure out who did this. And then you'll be exonerated and free to show up for work and sign an extension and have a long and fruitful career. And and I think the NFL, and this is where the NFL needs to be careful. If we get to the point where he's found to have inflicted injury on the child, what happened before he was in the NFL with Crystal Espinall when she was pregnant with this boy, that, that becomes an aggravating factor that can increase the punishment. It should not be a factor in how aggressively they apply the personal conduct policy to Hill. And what I'm saying here is the NFL should do the same thing that it would do to a player who doesn't have Hill's history. If confronted with a situation like this where there is a child who's been injured and the prosecutors believe a crime occurred, but they don't know who to charge and they don't know who did it and they aren't able to coerce anyone to testify because of the Fifth Amendment. The NFL shouldn't be influenced by the fact that Hill did what he did before he came to the NFL and was never suspended by the NFL because of it. But... As a practical matter, I think the NFL probably will be influenced by that, and it will make them, if anything, inclined to be more aggressive and more determined to take action here because Hill, in their mind, got away with the last one. Now, back to the Chiefs. They have a lot of power over this as well. They can be the ones who say, until you help us figure out who did this, we can't let you work for us. This is all happening one day after they traded for Frank Clark, who was accused of domestic violence, 
ultimately pleaded guilty to disorderly conduct. And there was a disagreement between the police officers and the prosecutors as to whether or not Clark actually struck the victim in that case. And Clark had a second degree felony home invasion guilty plea from 2012. One day after that trade, here's this Tyreek Hill situation. There's going to be a lot of pressure on the Chiefs to do something. Again, this is all being said and processed by me in the immediate aftermath. Here's what happened. I watched the press conference. I wrote an initial story about what the prosecutor said. I wrote another story about how the Fifth Amendment applies, and we locked in and we started this podcast. So, you know, I'm giving you a real-time seat-of-the-pants assessment of where this all stands. And I may have different thoughts on it as the rest of the week unfolds. I may want to wait until the draft's over and kick it to Monday or Tuesday of next week and think it through some more. And let's see what the NFL has to say about it between now and then. Let's see what the Chiefs have to say about it between now and then. But it's a a troubling situation. Very, very troubling situation. It almost seems, I don't know, trivial at this point to go over some of the other things happening in the NFL. Let me try to transition. I got to calm myself down a little bit because this really does piss me off. The idea of an innocent child being injured and no one being held responsible for inflicting injury among the most sensitive members of our society, it's not acceptable to me. Whether it was Hill, whether it was Espinal, whether it was somebody else, whoever did it needs to be held accountable. And that in and of itself is a tragedy and a travesty. And if the NFL and the Chiefs are driven by that desire to rectify that wrong, then I can support whatever they do. If this is about getting Tyree killed because they didn't get him the last time, I, I that's where my that's where I become concerned that things could get heavy-handed. And and I I know that I'm emotional here, and I'm advocating an aggressive application of the personal conduct policy, but I'm advocating it as it relates to ensuring that justice is done. Justice that the prosecutor can't do or won't do is being done by the NFL. And isn't that why the personal conduct policy is there? I mean, we know why it's there. It's a PR mechanism. And there's a way the dominoes fall where the, the negative outcry pushes the NFL and or the Chiefs to take strong action. Bottom line is, someone hurt this kid, and no one is going to face criminal prosecution because of it, and that's not acceptable. And the NFL has a mechanism in place for dealing with the player if the player is responsible and for forcing the player to tell a story that if it isn't credible, will prompt the NFL to conclude that the player is responsible. It's entirely possible that Crystal Espinal or someone else inflicted the injuries. It's or injury. We don't even know. Is it an injury? Injuries? I don't know. The prosecutor won't say because he's dealing with a minor child. It's entirely possible that's the case. But see, the NFL has the mechanism to do what the prosecutor doesn't, which is to force Tyree Kill to say what happened. And if he refuses or fails to do so in a credible way, then he's the one who ends up being responsible for what happened. All right. Daniel Jones 
the Duke quarterback who seems to be flying up the draft board. And let me tell you something. When a guy, you know what, I can't, I, I, it's hard to pivot to this. I really am upset that there's a three-year-old child. I think we all should be, aren't we? Aren't we? Let me try this. We had the interview that we did earlier today with Jerry Tillery before any of this happened. All this stuff about Daniel Jones and Washington, it can all wait. It's it's all, I can't, I can't get into it now after spending the last hour and a half thinking about what happened to this kid and thinking about the fact that whoever did it's going to get away with it. So it's more of a pause for me. And if, and if you don't, you know what, if, if you're not in the mood to hear anything more about what's going on in the NFL after this, I, I don't fault you for just, just turning it off now. That's it done over. Um, I'm thinking about just ending the podcast here. I mean, I, out of respect to Jerry Tillery, I, I don't want to attach an interview with him that was very positive and kind of lighthearted and he's in Hawaii. I, I don't know that that flows well either. And I don't know that answering your questions makes a damn bit of difference. And I'm sorry that I asked for questions, but I asked for questions before I knew what the prosecutor was going to say. I think the right thing to do here, and, and who knows? Am I right? Am I wrong? I don't know. But my gut tells me the right thing to do here is let's just call it a day. The draft is tomorrow. I'll, I'll do one... I'll do my best to do one of these tomorrow afternoon. It's not going to be easy because I'm going to be working to get information about what's going on with the draft. And, you know, the, the draft starts at eight and, and a lot of this is going to become moot. Um, let me think about the best way to handle tomorrow. But I think the best way to handle today, and I may be wrong. I think we just need to call it here. I, I can't muster at this point the, the desire to talk about What's, what else is going on or to answer questions. And, and I don't think it's fair to Jerry Tillery to put this interview that we did with him as the back end of, of what I think is a very serious situation. And, and I think this is one of the biggest challenges the league office will ever face under the personal conduct policy because it needs to, on one hand, restrain itself from acting upon a sense that Tyreek Hill never got the punishment he deserved for assaulting Crystal Espinal when she was pregnant with this child. They need to balance that against the reality that someone is getting away with injuring this child. And I think it's going to require careful uh, planning, strategy, assessment, understanding, and ultimately questioning of people who were involved in this, whether it's Tyreek Hill, Crystal Espinal, or someone else. And I think the league and or the Chiefs need to use their ability as the as the exclusive bodies that provide employment to Tyreek Hill, to use the threat of cutting that off. The reality that until there was cooperation, he will not have access to the privilege of playing in the NFL. They need to use that to get Hill and or Espinal to realize that they had better cooperate with them. And, and here's, here's the reality. And, and what he'll may have to ultimately choose between is exposing himself to criminal prosecution versus not playing in the NFL indefinitely. There's a five-year statute of limitations that applies here. The prosecutor pointed that out, and the prosecutor acknowledged that the case may reopen at some point down the road. If Hill talks, if Espinal talks to the NFL or to the Chiefs, the prosecutor, if it so chooses, can take steps to get access to that information. 
and any records that are generated and any other evidence that can be used to go forward in a court of law under that standard of proof beyond a reasonable doubt, knowing that there is something that can be used. There are words from these people that can be utilized and introduced into evidence to prove who did what. And if the only way that Tyree Kill gets back into the NFL is by either admitting that he did this and taking the punishment or basically pointing a finger and blowing a whistle at whoever did it. If that's what it takes, then the case is going to be solved. See, the the, the justice, and, and I'm, glad, I'm glad I didn't pivot to something else. The justice that this boy did not get can be gotten if the NFL uses the personal conduct policy to squeeze Tyreek Hill, legitimately and properly squeeze him into choosing between giving up his football career or giving up whoever did whatever it was that was done to that boy. Because if they say you cooperate with us or else you don't play, and if he says, I'll cooperate, whatever he says becomes a potential building block, an important building block in whatever case gets made against who did it. And it's an opportunity for the NFL to do something that the prosecutor can't do. This is an opportunity for the NFL to use an inability to work in the NFL as the way to get someone to tell the truth about what happened and to bring to justice whoever it is that hurt that child. So at the end of the day, Tyreek Hill may may ultimately decide, you know what? I just have to go in there and tell them what happened because if I don't, they're not going to let me play in the NFL until I do. All right. I'm sorry I'm not going to get to your questions today, and I apologize to Jerry Tillery for not making his interview part of this podcast. Maybe we'll drop it in a separate file. Let me think about how best to do that, but I just don't think it's fair to Tillery to attach that interview to the back end of what I think is a very, very important societal issue, and it's an important employment issue for the NFL as to how they're going to deal with Tyreek Hill going forward. It is not easy, and it's probably the last thing they want to have land on their lap as they're getting ready to stage a draft. But you know what? If you're going to have this mechanism, you better be ready to use it whenever the circumstances require. And the NFL now has a challenge. It's an opportunity to prove that this thing works, but it is a challenge to use it the right way. And there's a way they can use it to bring to justice somebody who otherwise is going to escape scrutiny and consequence for what they did to that boy. All right. PFT Live tomorrow morning. On NBCSN and NBC Sports Radio, Chris Sims will be with me. And we'll try to figure out some way, somehow, to do a PFTPM podcast tomorrow before the draft. Everybody have a great day. We'll talk again to you tomorrow one way or the other. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.